the Asco Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton. Hello, Jeff. I'm Julie Robinson. I'm the CEO of Independent Schools Council. And tell us a little bit, Julie Robinson, what is the Independent Schools Council? The council is an umbrella body that brings together many different associations, member associations across the independent sector. There are 11 different acronyms. So that's why we've been invented to provide a central point of information. Now, you mentioned being an umbrella organisation. Just give us a flavour of some of the other organisations, because people may have heard of some and not heard of others. Yes, there are five different heads associations. So the, the big, huge public schools that some people may have heard of, HMC schools. There are proprietorial schools, special schools, um, plenty of sort of religious schools are in the ISA. Prep schools, um, primary phase, they tend to be in IAPS. There's also Society of Heads and there's GSA for girls' schools. Then we have the governors in Agbis, the bursars in ISBA, we have WISC for Wales, SKIS for Scotland, COBIS for Overseas British International and BSA for boarding schools. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had to remember those rather than I did, but it shows what I... I mean, we talk about the state sector being a fragmented sector. This doesn't mean fragmentation, but it does mean you've got lots of different organisational bodies and then in terms of personal support for those people that's where ASCL comes in and the National Association Head Teachers comes in I guess. Yes it's a hugely diverse sector and because of its independent nature um, it's really really varied so we collect information on an annual basis and since 1974 ISC has run a census it is in fact census week this week Um, the information is gathered in January and published in April and from that data we know that a typical independent school in the UK if there is such a thing is just a few hundred pupils it's a small community school the majority of parents are paying their school fees through tax income um, and these are schools that are rarely academically selective and in fact lots of them are specialist schools um, so that would be providing boarding or special needs support they might be specifically uh, dance or music schools and other kinds of specialism. Yeah I want to in, in a second just take your views in terms of Labour's policy proposals because I think there is quite a lot of misunderstanding of what they might be proposing and what the implications might be and there will be people who are listening to this who will either be hugely supportive or or not so this isn't about what are the arguments pro and, and, and against it's really just exploring the implications I think for children young people and the people who are working in those schools but let's just spend another minute talking about what the landscape of independent schools is because as you said in passing there there are some famous name independent schools who get lots of attention for all kinds of reasons but there are also these diverse and much smaller schools I mean what what kind of size are the majority of schools who independent school council represents so we represent 1400 independent schools and half of them have fewer than 300 pupils about 90 of them have more than a thousand pupils so by state school standards they're very small Uh, And of course, they're suffering from cost of living crisis. And so are the parents who are paying the fees for their children to go to those schools. So it can be characterised, I think, typically as schools under pressure at the moment, um, suffering as as most schools are at the moment and just trying to find a way through the many financial pressures they're facing. 
Let's talk a little bit about Labour's policy, which had been a, a long time in gestation, I think, and at various points it seemed like it was going to be given higher priority and lower priority. At the moment, as we are 18 months, two years away from an election, it seems to be a re- relatively high priority to them. I think when I read about it, I, I, I find myself confused about quite what are they talking about. Is this about tax status, VAT? Is it about charitable status being removed? And whether they then talk about that money will essentially pay for more teachers in the state sector. What's the response of ISC to, first of all, what's being proposed and what the implications might be? Yes, so people may have heard about tax breaks as if there's some kind of tax loophole that needs to be um, turned around. In fact, what Labour are proposing is two distinct and separate things. So the first one is related to charitable status, and that's removing the tax benefits of charitable status, which is business rates relief and some other um, tax exemptions that all charities benefit from. This wouldn't raise very much money, and and Labour appreciates that. In fact, only half of the independent schools in the country are charities. So that's a small part of it. The main part, um, which accounts for the larger amount of money Labour is talking about raising, is putting an additional tax on parents who pay school fees. So this isn't taxing the schools. This is adding VAT to school fees. And in OECD countries, it's perfectly normal for the delivery, the supply of education to be VAT exempt. Um, So what Labour are proposing is to add 20% VAT on the school fee for any parent who pays school fees. Um, And part of that would mean that independent schools could then reclaim VAT. And Labour is saying they would raise a big chunk of money from that. But from our reckoning, to do that right now, to put pressure on um, school fees for parents who are struggling at the moment, would inevitably drive children from the independent sector into state schools. In some areas, they would have capacity to take some of those children, but our worry is it's the sort of borderline areas where there might not be capacity where children would then turn up in the state sector and put more pressure on state schools. So we we don't think this is a policy that will actually raise money. We think it will reduce demand and cause extra state costs in um, accommodating those children in state schools. These are not all hugely wealthy families with hugely academic children. You know, this includes 96,000 um, special needs children and, and lots of sort of sensitive children whose parents just want them in, in a particular type of a school. So from our perspective, it would be better to achieve the sorts of things Labour wants to achieve, um, which is they're listing things like improving careers education, um, mental health provision in, in, in state schools, maths teaching and um, specialist physics teaching we think a better way to achieve that would be to encourage independent schools such as we are because there are only 3,000 or so independent schools there are nearly 30,000 state schools but encourage independent schools to do more of the work they are already doing to share their teachers to share their university preparation and careers work there's um some good examples of that already we'd like to see more okay so it seems to me there's probably three arguments going on in there one is a practical one that actually 
particularly given the fact that you're talking about the majority of uh, independent schools are relatively small, in some cases very small. Um, and therefore, for those young people, if they can't stay in those schools, they will go into the state sector. There are practical consequences as to whether the state sector can keep. That's one argument. Second argument is a kind of moral argument. Those parents have paid their taxes, so essentially they are funding the state sector. They're then choosing how they spend their money. Um, and what you're saying is that actually that's going to increase the fees for those parents. Is there a third argument, which is essentially a social mobility argument? Is is what we see here that actually those parents who were on the edge of whether they can afford those fees, when they see the increase because of that, um, are going to stop doing that? And essentially, you get a greater sense that the people who can afford to send their children to independent schools will simply continue to do so. And we have a sector which actually looks as if it's reinforcing a wedge between the affluent and the less affluent. Does, does that resonate? Yes, I think you're absolutely right that by taking, um, by increasing the cost of independent school fees, we will end up with a more elite, if you like, sector, because the very big schools, those few who have um, investments and, and funds on which to draw, they tend to have the wealthiest parents, they'll be okay. And it's the smaller schools, um, the, the schools who are uh, more rural, um, who are more likely to have difficulty. So you will create a situation where the independent sector becomes increasingly elitist instead of one education sector where all kinds of schools are working together, parents can exert choice, um, and we all try to support as many children as possible. And that there's a social mobility and a social justice prerogative for independent schools. At the moment, there's a joint understanding with the government where independent schools have pledged to increase their partnership working with states um, maintained schools, and we're also tracking bursaries. Um, Last year, £480 million worth of means-tested bursaries were awarded to independent schools of a range of types, and we fear that this policy, should it be enacted, would, would reduce that. So, yes, it would make our sector less accessible um, and more elitist. Yeah. And finally, Julie, let's just go back to what you said at the beginning. There's lots of different organisations representing different people working in different types of independence schools and different roles within all of that. But as we've always said at Askell, whether you're working in an independent school or a state school, if a multi-academy trust or you know, whatever it is, what we have in common is children, curriculum, pedagogy, leadership, children and young people. And one of the things that we provide for lots of those organisations is the trade union support. And we've had a few examples recently where particularly heads, actually, and particularly the relationship between heads and governors in the independent sector can be a, a particularly fraught one. You can feel especially vulnerable in that role there. Uh, that's why we're there. Can you just say something about how, between us, we give that kind of support for those people in a personal capacity where they are feeling either they've had accusations about them, grievances against them, or a loss of confidence in them coming from whoever? Yes, yeah, so I have this experience personally when I was ahead in the independent sector. My union membership was really important to me that I could use that helpline and get a heads up on legal and HR issues. Um, I got fellowship and courses and conferences from my independent sector member associations. Um, that was quite niche. And I also got that sort of helpline support that I really needed from the unions. So it's really important to be a member. Julie Robinson, ISC, thank you. Thank you very much, Jeff. Mm -hmm.
the Ask Leadership Podcast with Jeff Barton. 